the teams you care about. I've got Pats, I've got Sox, Bruins, Celtics, UVM. Where do we want to start? The stories that matter to you. A huge shocker out of Foxborough, Mac Jones, the quarterback of your New England Patriots. This is your home for New England sports. I admit it, I'm a card-carrying member of both the High and Bloom and Cam Newton fan clubs. This is the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. What's up, everybody? Welcome in. Brady Farkas Show on a Thursday right here on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Full show today, all 90 minutes, going up until 7 o'clock. In fact, we'll go a little past 7, until about 7.07, and then we'll have Red Sox baseball. Sox Rays pregame show from Tampa, game one of the American League Division Series. Eduardo Rodriguez and Shane McClanahan kick off the series for us. We'll break down the game. We'll break down the Sox as a whole throughout the next 90 minutes. And ESPN MLB insider Buster Olney will be with us in 15 minutes at 545. And also because we have a full show today and not tomorrow because of the Red Sox game tomorrow in Game 2, we will do our six-pack of NFL questions today as we kick off Week 5 tonight, Thursday night football between the Rams and the Seahawks in Seattle. You can always get in on the Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line, 802-585-3026. Your locally owned Napa stores in Waterbury and Morrisville. Let go! 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. And here we go. The opening thoughts on the Brady Farkas Show are brought to you by Sticks and Stuff and Swanton Lumber. Vermont's most complete locally owned home center with locations in Enosburg, Derby, Middlesex, St. Albans, and at Swanton Lumber. They're online at sticksandstuff.com. We need to appreciate that Eduardo Rodriguez is even in a position to start this game one tonight. I just want to step back. I just want to step back for a moment and just think about that and that alone. Because we've done a lot of hand-wringing for the last six months on the way that Erod's pitched. And we've done speculation about the future and how much he'll get paid and how much he'll be worth and who will want him in the offseason. And that's all fair. That's all what he signed up for. That's all part of his job and my job. But this is a guy that last year, and we should just think about this, last year he missed the entirety of the season in his prime. He took a year out of his prime due to a potentially life-altering heart condition from a once-in-a-century disease. And now this year he's come out and made every single start, and now he's got game one of a division series. I think that that's pretty cool. Regardless of what happens tonight, I think that's pretty awesome. And I don't want to forget that. Because last year, Eduardo Rodriguez has myocarditis, something I'd never heard of. And he got it through the coronavirus, another thing that no one had ever heard of. And it took a year of his prime. And a year later, Eduardo Rodriguez is starting game one of the American League Division Series. I think that's pretty awesome. And Alex Cora, he does too. I'm very proud of him. Uh, first things first, obviously last year was a very difficult year for him. Uh, not being able to, to play because of health issues and the fact that he will be the starter tomorrow, I know it means a lot to him and his family. You know, his support system has been amazing throughout, and uh, we are very proud of him. We, I mean, what he's done this season, regardless of the up, the up and downs, I think, you know, he didn't throw the ball extremely well at one point, but he's been very consistent. 
uh, throughout, and uh, he's been making adjustments every start, and you know he, he's been getting better and better. Look, I don't know if Erod's going to go eight shutout innings today or if he'll get knocked out in the second or anywhere in between. I don't know what Erod's going to do tonight, but no matter what, I'm happy the conversation with Erod is about baseball and not just about his general health. I'm happy that we're at that spot where we can talk about just baseball with him because I remember last year, it was last July, that we found out that Erod had myocarditis and that he was going to miss the whole season. And I remember then being on the air wondering, would Erod ever play again? Would he ever live a normal life even? And then even this year, we were wondering, how? Will, oh, he's got a heart issue. How will that impact his conditioning? Will he be able to run and keep himself in shape? Will he be able to throw as long in the hot weather? How? What's going to happen to his breathing patterns? We thought all of those things. We had all of those questions. And Eduardo Rodriguez has answered them. And bottom line is this. As I get older and as I get deeper into this business, it's easy to just see players as assets and to see players as contracts and to see players as numbers. I don't ever want to lose, as a fan or as a radio host, I don't ever want to lose the human element. And tonight, with Eduardo Rodriguez pitching, we're reminded of that human element. And you can tell, not only does it mean a lot to Cora to see him out there, not only does it mean a lot to me to see him out there, it means a lot to him to be out there. Uh, I mean, it means a lot, you know, because um, everything that I went through last year and uh, had the opportunity to um, throw the first game in, uh, in, the, in the LGS, you know, um, it feels really good, you know what I mean? So it's just special. I feel like it's really special for me to, to have the opportunity to start a game like that. It is special. Special for him given all that he's been through. And I don't know how he'll do tonight, but the one thing I love about Erod, and I've always loved this about Erod, he doesn't pitch with too much emotion. We often wonder in the playoffs, who, which team is going to be able to settle the nerves first? Which team is going to be able to keep their emotions in check? Which team is going to be able to play calm and not play tight? Erod, I don't have concerns about that with him. There are concerns about other things. Will he throw enough strikes? Will he you know, leave too many cutters over the middle of the plate? There are real tangible baseball concerns. But emotion-wise, I don't have any worries about Eduardo Rodriguez. I think he's going to be able to keep his heart rate low. I don't think he'll be nervous. I don't think he'll be overwhelmed. He's pitched for a team that went to and won a World Series before. He has been in big games before, and he knows how to handle himself. If Erod's going to win tonight and lead the Red Sox out to a one nothing series lead, I think he is going to need all his weapons at his disposal. This is a powerful raised lineup. There's a lot of guys here who can hit the ball out of the yard. They'll swing and miss. They will absolutely swing and miss, but they will also make you pay if you make mistakes. I think Erod's going to need everything today. His backdoor cutter to a righty is like my favorite pitch in baseball. If he can locate that backdoor cutter, but also throw the fastball in on right-handers' hands, I think he's got a good chance, actually. Because Eduardo Rodriguez has pitched in games like this before, and he has pitched well in Tampa this year for his... You know, as fluke as up and down as his overall season was, one and zero with a two two five ERA in Tampa. Pitch in two starts, he had a two two five ERA in Tampa, and Erod also, by the way, for what it's worth, was pretty good down the stretch. His last 
30 innings, he had a 3-1-9. He was much better at the end of the season than he was in the middle of the season. I think Eduardo Rodriguez has a real chance tonight. If he can get the backdoor cutter, if he can throw the indoor fast, the inside fastball to a righty, if he can get the change up, if he can get those three things. The thing about Erod is he doesn't really have a breaking ball. He doesn't have a curveball. He doesn't really have a slider. He needs the cutter, and he needs the changeup. If he can get those three, I think he could be pretty successful tonight. 802-585-3026, Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury, text line. Jackson and Peachum. You're right, Brady. It is very cool to see Erod out there given all he's been through. But, wow, you said he made all his starts. Did he really? Yeah. Jackson, he really did. Eduardo Rodriguez made 31 starts this year. And then he had the bullpen performance last weekend in Washington at the end. So 32 appearances, 31 starts. And it's amazing because part of what got the Red Sox to this point was their rotational durability. Evaldi made all his starts. Erod made all his. And I've said this about Evaldi, but it goes for Erod too. That durability was surprising. Given what both those players had been through, no one could have expected they were going to make 30-plus starts. And the team really, really needed them to do so because Chris Sale was gone. Martin Perez was eh. Garrett Richards was eh. If you took out Evaldi or Erod or both from the rotation, this team would have fallen apart. It would have. In a way, the stability provided by Evaldi and Erod helped keep this team in the position they were in because there weren't a lot of options in the minor leagues to go to. Tanner Houck was there. Seabald was there at the end of the year. But, I mean, who is this team going to throw? Last year we saw a lot of guys like Ryan Weber. That's who would have been throwing this year if these guys weren't durable. Pavetta... Erod Evaldi being durable allowed this team to kind of get through this season because there were no other options. The Rays, they had options. They lost Tyler Glasnow. They lost Chris Archer. They could plug guys in. Red Sox didn't have that. So whether or not you liked Eduardo Rodriguez's season that he had this year, appreciate that he made all his starts because without him making all his starts, this season likely looks a whole lot worse. You couldn't afford when you were already missing sale you couldn't afford to have additional gaps in the rotation, and Erod kept those gaps filled. Davis in Westminster. Brady, Chris Sale only threw 50 pitches on Sunday. Why can't he pitch today in Game 1? Well, Alex Cora said, you know, Davis, he'd pitch in Game 2, and I, I think that's the right move. I think it's the right move for Sale to pitch in Game 2 because pitching today would only give Sale three full days rest. And given the arm injury that he's coming back from, that would not have been smart. That wouldn't have been smart to pitch Chris Sale on three days rest. Pitching him tomorrow, much, much safer. Because Chris Sale is a long-term piece here for the Red Sox. They need him healthy, yeah, for this postseason run, but they need him for subsequent postseason runs as well. You have to appropriately baby him as far as I'm concerned. And I don't know that throwing on three days rest would have been the best thing performance-wise for Sale anyways, but I know that him throwing today would not have been prudent for him arm-wise. You've got to take care of him. Good to go with Erod today, Sale tomorrow, Evaldi in Game 3, Pavetta and Hauk are in the bullpen. That That's the right course of action. Alex Cora has the right course of action here. He has the right thought process. I never thought that Chris Sale should start today. Oh, but Brady... 
50 pitches is like a bullpen, and, and Sunday was just a bullpen, and the team needs him. This guy's coming off Tommy John surgery. He's making $30 million a year, $25 million a year. You need to protect him. Performance-wise, I don't think throwing on three days rest would be smart for him. And arm-wise, I know that it wouldn't be healthy. Erod pitching tonight is the right answer. And if they can steal this game, think about this. If the Red Sox can steal this game tonight in Tampa with Erod pitching and then go to Sale and Evaldi, well, now you're looking at a decided advantage over the course of the rest of the series. So Erod pitching today. Keep your fingers crossed. Backdoor cutter, good changeup. He's got a real chance. The Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. All right, again, Red Sox baseball tonight, 7.07 with the pregame show. First pitch is just after 8. We talk about Erod. The guy who is opposing Erod, Shane McClanahan, the rookie lefty for the Tampa Bay Rays. Can the Red Sox exploit his inexperience? We'll ask ESPN MLB insider and Vermont native, Buster Olney. He'll be next on DEV. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in. Brady Farkas Show right here on a Thursday on WDEV AM and FM and WDEV Radio. Dot com Full 90-minute show today going up until 7 o'clock, actually just after 7 o'clock. 7.08 officially because that's what time Red Sox pregame begins. Sox and Rays game one of the ALDS from Tropicana Field. Sox beat the Yankees in the AL wildcard game on Tuesday. Joining us now, a guy who was in the building at Fenway on Tuesday calling the game for ESPN. It's our ESPN MLB insider, Buster Olney. Buster, what was the vibe like on Tuesday at Fenway? Man, it was intense. Uh, you know, just I told you before, I grew up as a, a Laker fan in Central Vermont, uh, and I loved the games when the Lakers and Celtics would play Bird and Magic in, in Old Boston Garden because there was that sort of intense, low-level grumbling and anxiety as uh, the ball was being dribbled up the court. That's the way it felt before the game. Like there was a lot of intensity in that building, and uh, all released. I think when Xander Bogarts when Xander Bogart hit that two-run homer in the first inning and, and uh, the pressure immediately shifted, it felt like, from uh, from the Red Sox onto the shoulder of, the, of the, uh, the Yankees. You know, there was a lot that, when we talked about the game on Tuesday leading up to it, there was a lot that ended up playing out like we thought, a lot that we got right. The one thing we got wrong was the Red Sox bullpen was better than the Yankees. That was the surprise. And, uh, you know, the Red Sox were able to, to make Severino work. They were able to get to Chad Green. How surprised were you with that? Uh, you know, I, I definitely going in on paper. Look, on paper, uh, the, the Yankees were seemed to have an advantage. Um, I, you know, as the game played out, I do think the score had a lot to do with it. The fact that the the Red Sox took the took uh, took a lead, yeah. uh, I think allowed their pitchers to attack in a way that maybe they wouldn't have otherwise been able to. It was huge uh, with the way the Red Sox season finished. Uh, you know the struggles that they had. Uh, you know down the stretch, 
they, it was huge for them to get out the way they did and get that lead. You know, I know he didn't have a huge statistical game on Tuesday, but I've been thinking a lot about the reinvigorated energy on this team. And Alex Cora is certainly part of that. Verdugo is part of that. But Kike Hernandez, I think, goes under the radar. I just think the energy he brings to this team and the winning attitude that he brings to this team, having come from the Dodgers, it seems like that's been an intangible that's really helped this team moving forward. What do you hear about Kike? About Kike, rather. Right, and he's someone who Alex Gore helped to, to draw to the team, to lure to the Red Sox during the last offseason because, of course, Alex knows him. You know, the both of them share uh, roots in Puerto Rico. Uh, they have a great rapport. And, yeah, when you are watching the team warm up before the game, you know, where they go out on, along the baseline and do the running in the app, you can just feel it when Kike's out there. I also think Devers has a lot to do with that, too. Um, you know, he – as, as Tim Hires, their, their hitting coach, told me, like, there's a toughness in Devers that people don't necessarily see because uh, he's got that cherubic face. <laughs> but he said he's not afraid of any situation. Uh, and I think that rubs off on other players uh, with the Red Sox because it doesn't matter if it's, you know, roll the Chapman throw on 103 miles an hour or if the bases are loaded and two outs. Devers is in it, and he's on it. Uh, and I, I think between he and Kike Hernandez and Xander Bogart, they do have a great core of leadership on that team. And, and by the way, Kyle Schwarber spit in uh, along those lines as well. Everybody, everything I've heard is that since Kyle Schwarber showed up, he's fit right in like he's been there for 150 years. And, and guys like Bobby Dahlbeck have, have uh, you know, drawn from him and learned from him. Uh, Kyle Schwarber is one of the nicest people you want to meet, and he uh, he certainly lent a lot since he joined the team. You know, Buster, Schwarber's got this kind of interesting, I never even heard of it before, a mutual option at the end of the season. I got to presume he's going to opt out and test free agency and try to get his money, but do, if you gave truth serum to the people in the Red Sox organization about who would they rather have as their DH in 2022, would it be Schwarber or would it be J.D. Martinez? Well, it would be Schwarber because he's younger. Right. Um, look, both guys would present the question of, you know, where do you play them defensively? They're best suited, each of them, to be a DH. Um, but, you know, given the fact that J.D. Martinez is, is significantly older than Schwarber, then I'm sure that the you know, Red Sox people, if they could just, uh, you know, set it money aside, contracts aside, Schwarber would be the natural play for every team. And, and you know, given the fact that it looks like, uh, that we will have a universal DH in 2022. You would assume the Players Association of Major League Baseball can figure that out together. If you're Kyle Schwarber, you're going to have twice as many bidders as you might have had last winter. You're going to have a great body of work. The, the, the home run burst that he had for uh, the Washington Nationals, you know, the success he's had with the Boston Red Sox, uh, transformative really for that offense, uh, you're going to do really well in free agency. And I am going to be curious to sort of you know, see where that develops. Could he be someone, uh, if the Yankees decide to, to move on in some ways from the Luke Boyts of the world uh, and try to get more lineup balance, you see someone that the Yankees might chase. Hmm. Buster only ESPN MLB insider with us here on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV. I want to get to the Yankees. I'm not in the business of defending the Yankees. I don't like the Yankees like most people up here don't like the Yankees. But I think Aaron Boone gets far too much grief, and the people calling for his head, I, I completely disagree with, Buster. You had the stat yesterday in the three full seasons he's been there. They've averaged 98 wins a year in the regular season. They have gone to the ALCS, and he's dealt with such an unbelievable rash of injuries in the last four years. I, I, I have a hard time criticizing Aaron Boone. What do you think? 
I, I do too, and I'm also aware of the fact that you know because I worked with uh, Booty on Sunday Night Baseball, he's a friend, right? And, and so I'm going to be naturally biased to, to some degree. But I also, when I take a step back from it, I, I find the conversation around Aaron Boone and Brian Cashman to be inane. Uh, and I live in the New York area, and every day you listen to, should they fire Boone, should they fire Cashman? And you look at the, you know, what they've done since Aaron Boone has joined that team. You, you mentioned you know, 98 wins on average over the three full seasons. They've made the playoffs in every year. Uh, and, and, yeah, you can pick apart decisions that he makes. You can pick apart decisions that Brian Cashman's made. They, this is an organization. They have not had a losing season in almost 30 years, hmm. right? Wow. Every year they're in a position to contend, uh, it seems, for you know, the American League Champ- East Championship and the American League Championship. Now, this year has not been easy on them. The other day uh, before the wild card game, I was behind the batting cage, and I was talking with Brett Gardner, and, and he – gave me kind of a an ironic line of boy this this year has just flown by it's been really easy and then Aaron Boone heard that as he walked by and they and they were joking about that it's been a hard year for them because of the you know the highs and lows um the streaks the slumps uh you know the COVID battles that they've been through um but they managed to get through it and they managed to make the playoffs and if they fire you know, Brian Cashman, I think he would probably be offered a job by the Mets within about 0.2 hmm. seconds. And if Aaron Boone is let go, his contract is expired. If, uh, you know, he could certainly move on, I'm sure that he would be hired immediately by a team like the San Diego Padres. Let's move forward now to tonight's game, ALDS Game 1. The Red Sox are certainly, you know, the Vegas underdog here going up against the Rays. But how much does the familiarity of facing a division foe help or hurt the Red Sox? I, I think the familiarity helps. What do you think? Yeah, I think it absolutely helps to narrow the gap. Because I think on paper, when you look at the two teams, I think the Rays are a significant favorite over any team at this point that's remaining in the field. They're playing great. They have great lineup depth. They have tremendous depth in their pitching. Um, but the fact that they played each other, uh, I think – it, it, it almost uh, it eliminates the mystique uh, if you are the the Red Sox about the Rays. It kind of reminds me of you know back in the day when the, the Red Sox and Yankees were in their heyday, when the Yankees you know after a while they you know beating Pedro Martinez was not something that was unusual for them. Uh, the Red Sox at bats against Mariano Rivera, they, they had far better at bats than any other team because they were familiar with it with him just as the Yankees were familiar with Pedro Martinez. So I think you're exactly right in that, uh, you know, if the team's going to have a shot to beat the Rays, I think it's going to be a team, you know, coming from within the division. That makes a lot of sense. You know, Shane McClanahan's going to get the ball for for Tampa tonight for Kevin Cash's team. Young, hard-throwing lefty, but he is a rookie buster. How much do you think that that weighs weighs into tonight, and can the Red Sox exploit that inexperience? Yeah, and, and look, I you know I'm I'd be the first one to extol experience uh, as an important factor in the postseason because we've seen it. I think right now, for example, the Dodgers as they move forward, you know they're going to have an advantage because of their experience. The Braves are in the same boat, but I, I would say this: I think that um, the, the lack of major league service time isn't as big of a deal for the Tampa Bay Rays and their starting pitchers and their first two games they're going to go with McClanahan and Shane Boz who are both rookies Shane Boz has 13 innings in the big leagues here's the thing the Rays part of their secret sauce and their secret to their success is that they slow play the development of their starting pitchers more than any other organization some of it's financial 
Uh, they want to make sure that these pitchers are ready when they reach the big leagues. They don't want them to need time developing in the big leagues. But when they get to the big leagues, they're ready to go. Uh, and we've seen that time and time again. Uh, you know, it kind of reminds me of uh, you know someone moving up through the University of Alabama flowchart on their football mm-hmm. team. Like they had the redshirt year, they had a couple years behind you know some guy who was probably drafted by the NFL. And when they appear on the field, they are ready to go. Um, so I, I always feel like that when we talk about experience, it doesn't necessarily apply to the raised pitchers because the context is just so different. Buster, I'll get you out of here on this. There was all the talk a couple of weeks ago that the Rays were going to use the playoffs as an opportunity to have a banner up on their outfield wall that was promoting their you know, plan of having a split season between Tampa and Montreal. Now, they've subsequently bagged that banner, and they're not going to do it, but it's still you know, out there in the universe. Two years ago, when, it, when the idea came about, I laughed it off. Two years later, they're still talking about it. Is this true, or is this the greatest ruse in, in MLB history? Well, I think that they're serious about pushing forward the idea, and you can have a um, you, you can have a conversation and and wonder aloud if you know is this uh, trying to le- create leverage for other situations? Is this something that Stuart Sternberg, their owner, is you know actually trying to develop because he wants to uh, you know find a way to to keep games in in the Tampa area? And, you know, in speaking with St. Petersburg and with Tampa. But I, I just, I almost feel like it's a, a waste of, of oxygen and energy to even think about it until we actually see that the Player Association would sign off on it. They would have to agree to have a team full of players move constantly between two spots during the course of a regular season. And I just don't believe they would do that. You know, we've seen the Toronto Blue Jays in the last two years playing different spots because of COVID, because of the, you know, the rules uh, in Canada about COVID are different from the rules in the United States. But that's out of necessity. In that case, I just don't think they'll ever get the player, Players Player Association to agree to it. Very interesting. It's something we're going to continue to follow. and has a, a grave uh, interest level up here as people want to see baseball back in Montreal. Buster Olney, ESPN MLB Insider, with us every single Thursday. Buster, when we talk next Thursday, hopefully we're talking about an ALCS that the Red Sox are a part of, but either way, we will talk to you in seven days. Always love talking with you, Brady. Appreciate you as well. Buster Olney, Vermont native and ESPN MLB Insider, with us every single Thursday right here on WDEV. A lot of good stuff from Buster. We'll react to a lot of it in the 6 o'clock hour as well. But when we come back, we'll do the CBS News update first. Then we'll come back. Our six-pack of NFL questions. Who's the player under the most pressure upcoming in week number five? It's someone near and dear to our hearts. I'll tell you who that is. That's next on WDEV AM and FM. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in, Brady Farkas Show, right here on a Thursday on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. I want to thank Buster Olney of ESPN for joining us, as he does every Thursday. If you miss any of Buster ever or any of our exclusive interviews or content, you can always subscribe to the Brady Farkas Show podcast. Just go to Apple Podcasts or Spotify, search for the Brady Farkas Show. You'll see our logo there, and you can subscribe and download our podcast every single day for free. We're going to react to some of what Buster has to say in about 15 minutes, but we usually do this on Friday, but tomorrow we have an earlier Red Sox start time for game two, so 
We won't have a full show tomorrow, so since we don't have a full show tomorrow, we're going to do our six-pack of NFL questions today, heading into week five. So, let's get the music going, people. There you go. Let the music just sit there for a bit. That's what we want to hear right there. That's good stuff. The NFL primetime music will never not get me excited. It will never not get me hyped up. So, six-pack of questions. Our first question today on the Brady Farkas Show is uh, the best matchup of the week, the best NFL matchup of week number five. Do we have the uh, – we got to get the sound, everybody. Let's see here. Um – we should have it right here. Here we go. Thank you. Best game of the NFL weekend. Let's hear it, people. The best game of the NFL weekend is... Best game of the weekend, Bills at Chiefs Sunday Night Football. It's a rematch of last year's AFC title game, and it's a possible preview of this year's AFC title game. Now, the Chiefs are 2-2. Two and two. They're not playing their best football right now. The Bills are 3-1. and one. They've won their last three, and they are just killing people right now the bills shut out miami they shut out houston within the past three weeks in the last three games the bills have outscored their opponents by 97 points 97 point differential in the last three weeks for the buffalo bills and these teams are pretty even i understand again chiefs have two losses this year but since the beginning of last year these teams have an identical record including the playoffs both teams 18 and 5 patrick mahomes Perennial MVP candidate. Josh Allen, always now in the MVP conversation. Two elite wide receivers we'll see in this game. You're going to see um, Stephon Diggs on one side, Tyreek Hill on the other. Cole Beasley is an all-pro caliber player. You're going to see dynamic playmakers all over the field. And now you're going to get Josh Gordon on the field for the first time this year when it, we were talking about the Chiefs as well. We talk about Tyreek Hill. 30 receptions, second in the league. 453 receiving yards, second in the league. Four touchdowns, second in the league. This is a battle of fast athletes, a battle of stars. It's a rematch again of last year's AFC title game and could be a preview of this one. Josh Gordon makes his season debut, suspended for 2020, suspended for the back half of 2019. He's on the field again now for the first time in a year and a half. Patrick Mahomes, his new quarterback, excited to play with his new asset. Yeah, he's a tremendous guy. I mean, you can tell he, he loves uh, playing football. He loves being here, loves being a part of this locker room. I mean, the, the talent you can just see. I mean, the, how fast he is, how big he is, the way he's able to get in and out of cuts. I've been able to throw to him a little bit here now, kind of off to the side a little bit, and I think uh, we'll try to do whatever we can to kind of bring him up to speed as quickly as possible and try to utilize his skill set. I'm rooting for Josh Gordon. He's a former Patriot, and he was a good part of the 2018 Patriots. I, I like Josh Gordon. I want him health-wise to beat his demons. I don't know what to expect from him, though. I expect very little from him. He's 30 years old. The thing about Josh Gordon that was always his saving grace was he was young and athletic. He's still athletic. Mahomes just told you. But he's 30 years old now. He's not going to be the same athlete at 30 that he was at 26, that he was at 24 when he got all these second and third and fourth chances. I hope that he's able to stay on the straight and narrow, finish out the season, and I hope he's able to contribute. I don't know, even if he does that stuff, how big an impact he's going to make. I look forward to watching it. The best game of the weekend 
is on Sunday night the same way that last weekend was the best game uh, of the week was on Sunday night. Now, the most intriguing game. The game that intrigues us most is... Six-pack of questions number two, most intriguing game. Browns at Chargers, another battle in the AFC. This is a battle of two teams that we think can go to the playoffs. And we've thought all along the Browns can get back to the playoffs, and we've thought all along the Browns can make a deep run in the AFC playoffs. But the Chargers are now joining them on that trajectory. Look at what the Chargers have done so far through the first four weeks of the season. They've gone on the road and beaten the Washington football team that was in the playoffs last year with an elite front four on the defensive line. They handled them and beat them on the road. They've gone on the road and won in Arrowhead against the Chiefs. They've also beaten the previously unbeaten Raiders on Monday Night Football in a nationally televised game. The Chargers are for real. The question is about them to get to the next level. Can they turn it around on a short week? They play Monday night. Can they play on a short week now against a playoff team and win? They have the firepower to do it. Now it's about staying focused and actually executing it. Justin Herbert is a stud. The Patriots are going to see him in a couple of weeks, and that's going to be no that's going to be a very tall task. Herbert's numbers that he's putting up are historic. On Monday night against the Raiders, his sixth career game with three passing touchdowns and no picks, that's tied for the most such games by a player in their first two seasons in NFL history. Dan Marino, Lamar Jackson, the only two quarterbacks that have done that in NFL history, and, oh, Herbert's only got uh, 13 games left to go. Three touchdowns, no picks. He's already done it six times in his career. Herbert is a stud, and he's not the only one. They, he's got great wide receivers there. Mike Williams, Keenan Allen, Austin Eckler at running back. The Chargers, this game would be a huge statement. To beat the Chiefs was a statement. To beat Cleveland on a short week would be a huge statement as well. Remember last year when the Patriots beat the Chargers with Cam Newton, like, 100 to nothing. I mean, Jarrett Stidham came into that game because it was such a lopsided blowout. Well, since week 14 of last year, the Chargers are 7-1 in their last eight games. They have not allowed 30 points as a defense in any of those games. They were 3-9 to start last season, 7-1 since then. This team has turned it around. They're figuring out how to win close. They're negating some of the problems that they had closing out games. Chargers are a team, I thought at the beginning of the year, I thought the Chargers were not going to be better than the Patriots. Well, right now, they're not only better, they are lapping the Patriots, making it even tougher for the Patriots to try to find a way to sneak in to a wild card picture. In fact, the Chargers are so good. Brian Greasy of ESPN said the other day, the AFC West now runs through Los Angeles. And now there's the other half of this game, too, that makes it intriguing. The Browns are 3-1. and one. They're looking to go 4-1 and one for the second year in a row. Baker Mayfield, it was announced today that he's playing with a partially torn labrum in his non-throwing shoulder. This game's got storylines all over the place. Baker's shoulder, how healthy is he really? Is that contributing to his kind of up-and-down play? Cleveland's defense has been very good. Miles Garrett leads the NFL in sacks with six already. They've allowed, you know, I think, points in the single digits each of the last two weeks, allowed just seven points to a Minnesota team last week. Herbert against that defense. All those stars for the Chargers, Mayfield's injury. This game on the road for Cleveland would be a test. Short week for the Chargers is a test too. 
That's why it's the most intriguing game of the weekend. Question number three in our six-pack of questions. The Bar Rescue Game of the Week is... The Bar Rescue Game of the Week. This is the game that you have no interest in, right? Bar Rescue is on Paramount every single Sunday for the most part, or at least it used to be. A marathon all day. I'd like to sit on the couch and watch Bar Rescue rather than watch football. The worst game of the week, Jets-Falcons being played in London. I thought... I thought Great Britain was supposed to be our ally. I thought after the American Revolution, we were supposed to be making amends with each other. This is no way to make amends. Sending these two teams across the pond, that's an instant ticket to get everybody over there to hate us. If we want Great Britain to remain a great ally, we need to not be sending them the Falcons and the Jets. Both teams are one and three. The Zach Wilson rookie quarterback storyline for the Jets has worn off for me. I no longer have interest in him. This game's on at 9.30 in the morning. I'll watch a bit of the second half, and I don't need to alter my Sunday in any other way for this nonsense. I mean, you can go up and down the statistics in this game just to see the futility that these two teams exhibit. Jets and Falcons, only two teams in the NFL that have not intercepted a pass yet this season we've played four games not one interception on defense for either one of these teams on the other side Zach Wilson's certainly throwing a lot of interceptions he's thrown eight picks he's got at least one in every game that he's played he's the first player since Deshaun Kaiser the old Browns and Packers quarterback to throw a pick in each of his first four career games that's the Jets Matty Ice Matt Ryan remember when he had Julio Jones and Roddy White Those days are done. He refuses to throw the football down the field anymore. Matt Ryan has the lowest air yards per pass in the NFL. He's only thrown eight passes this year that have traveled at least 20 yards, and he's two for eight on those. This game is going to be a low-scoring dink-and-dunk affair at 9.30 in the morning. I'd rather go to brunch. I'd rather have a mimosa. I'd rather eat pancakes. I'd rather sleep. I'd rather do anything other than watch the entirety of this game. Wake me up. Starts at 9.30. Wake me up at 12.15, and we'll see if the score is anything more than 9-6, to six, as those London games usually are. If you want football, if Roger Goodell wants football to grow internationally and wants to see football grow across the pond, stop sending them the Jets and the Falcons. The London games are already, I think, among the poorest played every year. Don't send two awful teams. Question number four in our six-pack of questions heading into week five. The player we want to watch most this week is... Player we want to watch most this week, Bengals quarterback Joe Burrow. I don't make a habit of talking about the Bengals very often, but usually they're not worth talking about. This year, so far, they are. The Bengals are 3-1, but they've beaten three teams under 500. they They've beaten Pittsburgh, the Vikings, and they've beaten the Jaguars. And They've had three games decided by three points or less. That's the most in the NFL, too. I don't know if they're good. I don't know if they're lucky. I don't know if they're a product of their soft schedule thus far, but I know I want to watch Joe Burrow to see how good they actually are. They're hosting the Green Bay Packers. That would be a huge test for them. If Joe Burrow can outduel Aaron Rodgers, that would be a massive statement. Burrow's thrown multiple touchdown passes in each of his first four games. He's the second Bengals quarterback ever to do that, only with Andy Dalton there. Not Boomer Esiason, not Jeff Blake, not former top draft pick Akili Smith. Joe Burrow 
second Bengals quarterback in history to throw at least two touchdowns in each of his team's first four games of a season. He'd be the first ever to do it five times. Bengals are interesting on offense. Joe Mixon, the running back. Jamar Chase, Burrow's old college teammate. Four receiving touchdowns this season, most ever by a Bengal through the first four games of his career. Very, very uh, intriguing young player there. So Joe Burrow, player I want to watch the most. How about the player? Let's see, question number five. The player with the most pressure this week is? The player with the most pressure this week. This one's Mac Jones. Patriots quarterback Mac Jones has the most pressure of any NFL player this week. The Patriots are 1-3. They've lost two games in a row. They're trying to avoid a three-game losing streak. And as the quarterback, it's Mac Jones' job to play the role of the stopper and keep the three-game losing streak from happening. He's been universally praised for how he played Sunday night against Tampa. Now, he needs to prove something else. Can he rebound off a loss? Can he stay focused in a game that's going to have a much different energy to it? This game is against a bad Texans team on the road, noon local time kickoff. This has none of the fanfare that we saw for the Sunday game against the Bucs. Can Mac Jones keep his team focused and go on the road and win a game you're supposed to win? The Patriots are nine-point favorites on Sunday. They will not be that big a favorite at any other point this season. Maybe Jacksonville at the end of the year, but even then, I'm not sure. Nine-point favorite. Mac Jones needs to go in and get the troops focused, assembled, play clean, and get this thing going because this is a game the Patriots should win. This isn't a situation where we can make excuses. When I come in on Monday, and I I believe and have been giving the rookie the benefit of the doubt all year, when I come in here on Monday, we better be talking about a Patriots win and a Patriots commanding win. They don't have to win 51-13. to but they do need to take control of the game, take control of it early, and they need to establish themselves and and play their brand of football. Another reason why Mac Jones is under pressure in this one, he may have to win this game without a lot of help. Four of the five Patriots offensive linemen today did not practice. It's Thursday, people. That's worrisome. Trent Brown hasn't played for three weeks with a calf issue. He didn't practice. Shaq Mason, ab issue. He didn't practice. Micah Wayne to Isaiah Wynn, still on the COVID list. One of them is unvaccinated and one of them is positive. We don't know which one is which, so it's going to come down to the wire to see if either one of them, whichever one of them is, is vaccinated, is going to be able to play. I'm not sure, but you may be missing four of your five offensive linemen when it comes to Sunday. Mac Jones isn't going to have a whole lot of help up front. He hasn't had a whole lot of help up front already. Mac Jones needs to take this game by the horns, and he's going to need to win it and keep his team in a position to stay on the fringes of the playoff race. If you want to accomplish anything in this season, you have to win this game. Mac Jones has to be the guy to help the Patriots do it. All right, last one in our six-pack of NFL questions. The most amazing NFL stat of the weekend is... The most amazing NFL stat is not necessarily a stat. It's more of a trivia thing. So the Cardinals have the best record in the NFL. They're 4-0. The Arizona Cardinals are 4-0. They're the last unbeaten team in the league. Number one, the Cardinals have the longest active title drought in any of the four major sports. 
That I didn't know. They haven't won a title since 1947. We're going on more than 70 years here that the Cardinals franchise has won a title. That's amazing. And they got a couple things working against them here if they want to break that drought. Here's another one I didn't know. Kyler Murray won the Heisman Trophy at Oklahoma. The last Heisman quarterback to win the Super Bowl with the team that drafted him, 1977 Dallas Cowboys with Roger Staubach. More than almost 50 years it's been. It has been almost 50 years since a Heisman Trophy winning quarterback won the Super Bowl with the team that drafted him. One other one, last unbeaten team the Cardinals are. The last time the final unbeaten team won the Super Bowl, 2006. So the Cardinals are the best team in the NFL right now, record-wise. They're going to have some uh, demons to exercise, though, if they want to get the elusive Super Bowl championship. They're going to have to break some pretty interesting trends. So that's our six-pack of questions. We do it every single week. You guys can kill the music here on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. We will get to who's saying what in a second, but we'll catch up on the Napa-Morrisville Napa Waterbury text line 802-585-3026. Steve says, your show is so good. Well, thank you very much, Steve. And another Steve says, I'm a Red Sox fan, but you might be surprised. Vermont is close to 50-50 between the Yankees and the Red Sox. I know there's a lot of Yankee fans here, and and that's fine. But we are the home of the Red Sox. So, I don't you know, look, I talk about the Red Sox because we're the home of the team. And, you know, we're identified with the station but as far as the Yankees go it's always important to talk about the Yanks and keep tabs on them because what the Red Sox and the Yankees do affects the other so it's always important I think to keep track of the Yankees as well all right we do this every single day let's get to who's saying what whoa 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 what did he say here's what we know about New England their running game production their offensive line their special teams and their defense will all be top five and they have the best coach in the game. They're going to win a bunch of games. They really said that? Every damn thing is politics and race, and I'm losing my mind over it. It's time for Who's Saying What on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Who's Saying What? We just had Buster Olney on from ESPN, and we talked about the idea of the split-season plan between the Tampa Bay Rays and the city of Montreal. So if, you, if you've if you missed this, this has been going on for about two years now. The Rays are thinking about splitting their season between Florida and Montreal. So basically, attendance is an issue in Tampa, and attendance was an issue in Montreal. So the two markets have gotten together and decided, well, maybe we can support a team for half a season. The Rays would play in Florida, basically April through July. They would get an outdoor stadium there. They'd play April through July, or April through mid-June-ish before it gets, you know, completely unbearably hot. Then they'd, the team would go north to Montreal, and they'd have a the rest of the season there in a new outdoor stadium before, it, you know, while it's not unbelievably cold. So I have criticized this plan for the duration of the last two years. Here's what Buster had to say about it all. But I, I just, I almost feel like it's a, a waste of, of oxygen and energy to even think about it until we actually see that the player association would sign off on it. They would have to agree to have a team full of players move in, constantly between two spots during the course of a regular season. And I just don't believe they would do that. What do you think of the split season idea? 
half the season in Florida, half the season in Montreal. Obviously, it would bring baseball closer to us. But what do you think of the idea? Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury, text line 802-585-3026. I think Buster is dead on about this. I think that the players are going to be the ones who don't want to do this. Ray's ownership, I think, wants to do this. They want baseball back in Tampa or to stay in Tampa. They see this as the only as the only chance to keep baseball in their market. Montreal wants this to happen. It's the only way to get baseball in their market. So I think the two ownership groups want this to happen. The players are going to be the ones that I don't think will be okay with this. This would cause a massive issue, wouldn't it? Like, forget about all the other stuff, right? Forget about the team employees. Forget about the media. The players are going to have an issue with this. They have to. The players would need two residences. They need one in Florida and one in Montreal. More money spent. Players with families, what are they going to do? Are the kids going to jump back and forth between markets and go to two different schools over the course of the year in which – there's two different languages spoken. That seems difficult. Are you then going to leave your kids in one market in the States or one market in Canada and not see them for half the year? I don't think a lot of guys are going to sign off on that. How about the actual salary for the player itself? The money is different in Canada. The conversion rate is different in Canada. The taxes are different in Canada. So how do you handle the structure of a player's contract? This seems to be so many questions about this from the player's standpoint. I don't think that they're going to go for this unless you're going to throw them way more money, which again, you can buy off a lot of concerns by throwing money and maybe that's what they'll do. But if things stay the same here, I think these questions are too overwhelming. You saw how much of a hassle it was for the Blue Jays this year. They played a third of the year in Dunedin, Florida, a third of the year in Buffalo, and a third of the year in Toronto. And they were living out of a suitcase. And you saw how big of a hassle it was. And their fans were not even their fans for the most part because they weren't really established in a home. That was out of necessity. I don't think anyone would tell you that they enjoyed the experience and moving all over the place. And now that's the players. That's the most important part of this whole thing. Everybody else will get screwed in various ways, or everyone else's feelings will be told to you know, buzz off. The players are the ones that matter. But I'll say this. If I were a fan, I wouldn't love this either. I know we're all fascinated by the idea of getting baseball back in Montreal, and we like the idea of baseball being closer to us, and I do too. But if I were a fan of the team, I would absolutely hate this. If I'm a diehard Tampa Bay Rays fan, Hey, I get to see my team play earlier in the year, early in the year every year, but then I never get the joy of a pennant race. Really? I'm never going to get to see my team clinch a division because they're playing in Montreal. I don't want that. I'm not signing up for that. Or if I live in Montreal and the team tanks it in the first half of the season and I get them when they're 18 games under 500 and ready to sell off all their parts, who's signing up to go to those games? Hey, welcome back. It's opening day in Canada, and we're bringing you Rays, you know, the, the the Montreal Rays baseball. And hey, by the way, as we come to Canada, the team is 40 and 62. And they're about to trade three of their best players. 
That's not working for me as a fan either. I am not interested in that. There's a lot of issues there. And if I'm a fan, I want my team wearing one logo, my colors, representing my city. I'm not interested in this, you know, split custody thing. Like, you're either in or you're out. If I'm Montreal, I, I think the initial appeal will be great. But then if the team is not good, you're going to go back to the exact same issues you had before. And you run a lot of, you run a lot of, uh, you run into a lot of problems there. So it's a, it's a cool idea. I'll give them that. It's an innovative idea. I don't think it's a practical idea though. I don't think the players will go for it. And frankly, if I'm the fans, if I'm Tampa, I'd be real mad. I lose half my team. If I'm Montreal, I'd probably be happy for a bit. But what happens, you know, what happens when when the team is in the tank? Phil in Berlin says, why are you approaching this from the employee standpoint instead of the employer, which are the owners and the fans? We're the ones paying through ticket sales, TV advertising, etc. By the way, there are no Tampa fans. There's a great history in Montreal. Move the entire franchise north to a stadium with a covered roof. Some of that I agree with. I said a couple weeks ago, just move the Rays. The Rays had against the Red Sox, you know, 5,000 fans, and the Rays were in first place. That's an embarrassment. That's an embarrassment. Moving the whole franchise, all or nothing as far as I'm concerned. If you're going to move the team, then move the team entirely to Montreal. I'm not interested, though, in half the season. And why am I looking at this from the player standpoint? Because, hey, Phil, this is how business and baseball works. The Players Association has to agree to things. And if they don't, then this will never happen. I also do think, again, it won't affect anything as to what people do. But what do you do for the people that work for the team? They have a job for half the year and that's it? The guy who's the parking attendant in Tampa, doesn't does he come to Montreal too? And have to live in a different place for half the year? Does he need two residents now also? Or are we just getting a whole new staff in Montreal and now everybody doesn't have jobs? How about the, the guy who is the media coordinator? Does he have to come north and, and leave his family and only get... There's a lot of logistics here. Players matter the most. I would say employees and fans, they have real concerns, but they won't get hurt. It's going to come down to money and the players. That This will happen if the players sign off on it, and this won't happen if the players don't. I'd also be interested in seeing... The Rays have wanted to stay in Tampa, and they want a new stadium, and they can't get it. If they win the World Series this year, what happens? Does this become the season that saves baseball in Tampa entirely, and Montreal gets left out in the cold again? I don't know. But if the Rays win the World Series, I'd like to think that maybe some fans will step up and want to save this team. But who knows? Something we're going to continue to follow, and I think it's only going to get more and more uh, noise about it, in the offseason. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Look, the, the Tampa-Montreal Rays, that's a thing of the future. Let's get to the Tampa Bay Rays now. The biggest thing that could help the Red Sox win this series in Tampa, I'll tell you what that is. That's next on WDEV. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Yeah, yeah. Welcome back in, Brady Farkas Show, right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEV Radio. 
Facebook.com. We'll go up until 7 o'clock like usual, and then at about 7.05, I'll come back and give you the Red Sox lineups as we get ready for Game 1 of the series against the Tampa Bay Rays in the Division Series. The Astros leading the White Sox now 6-0 in the top of the 7th in the other AL Division Series. The Astros, man, their lineup is just relentless. And we're going to see a relentless lineup today in Tampa as well. The Brady Farkas Show is brought to you in part by uh, Orange Theory Fitness. Orange Theory Fitness is a high-intensity interval training workout program located in South Burlington. It is a gym, and you go there, one-hour class structure. That's all. Go in, one hour, work your tail off. The workout is given to you. It's provided to you. A coach leads you and the rest of the class through it. It's a small class, so you do get intimate attention. It's a three-phase workout. You have some floor exercises with weights and ab work. You have a rowing program on a, on a water-based rower and then a treadmill cardio portion. And there's options if there's anything you can't do or just aren't able to do yet, but you can go at your own pace, and that's what I love about it. I, look, I could be on the treadmill running at a 5% or a 5-mile-an-hour uh, speed. Guy next to me could be going at 12 miles an hour. There's a no, It's no judgment. It's work at your own speed. It's do what you can do, and it's challenge yourself. It's not working against the room. It's working against yourself and it's something that I have found to be very, very therapeutic, something that I have enjoyed doing, and I recommend you find them on Facebook, Orange Theory Fitness Burlington, to learn about how you can sign up or maybe take a first class for free. As the Red Sox get ready to play the Rays today, the thing that has me most optimistic for the Sox is the familiarity of these two opponents. These two teams played each other 19 times in the regular season. Red Sox struggled against Tampa in the second half. That was undeniable. But the Red Sox swept the Rays in a series this season at one point. There's no aura about the Rays to the Red Sox. And I love that. When I'm watching the Astros and White Sox play, and I got it kind of out the corner of my eye, the Astros are good. And the White Sox clearly know that. And they don't play the Astros very much. So it, there's a little bit of a mystique there. And there's a little bit of a wow factor in a... Okay, these guys have won a World Series recently. A lot of these guys are back. And we haven't really beaten this team because they don't really play this team. And we didn't play this team at all last year because of the COVID-altered schedule. So there's just a lot of uncertainty there. That uncertainty doesn't exist with the Red Sox and Rays. And that's what Buster Olney said to me about an hour ago. Yeah, I think it absolutely helps to narrow the gap. Because I think on paper, when you look at the two teams, I think the Rays are a significant favorite over any team at this point that's remaining in the field. They're playing great. They have great lineup depth. They have tremendous depth in their pitching. Um, but the fact that they played each other, uh, I think it, it almost it eliminates the mystique. So Buster is in agreement with me there. The Rays won over 100 games this year, but nothing that they do in this series will be new to the Red Sox. There are no secrets here. The Red Sox know the relievers. They know Kittredge and Pete Fairbanks, and they know, um, you know, J.T. Chagois. They know that Brandon Lau has great power. They know that Wander Franco is a great young prospect who's really delivering. They know Mike Zanino's got a ton of power. None of it will come as a surprise. The only thing that's new in this series is that rookie Shane Boz is going to pitch in game two and the Red Sox haven't seen him, but that's it. And the Red Sox know the ballpark. There's no surprises coming out of that, you know, out of the fluky roof situation. I don't know if the Red Sox are going to win this series. I don't. 
But I do know the Red Sox are not going to be intimidated, they're not going to be unprepared, and they're not going to be unfamiliar. And that's a really good starting point when you think about trying to win a series. And I'll say this. If the Red Sox can win tonight, I think they have a good chance at winning this series. If they can win tonight, they have a good chance at winning the series. I don't know if they can win this series from behind one nothing, but if they can get up one ahead then the pitching matchups, I think, favor you. This is a raised rotation that has a lot of talent, a lot of upside, but it's very, very young. Shane McClanahan tonight. Uh, Boz tomorrow. Uh, Drew Rasmussen, game three. Luis Patino, maybe in a game four. There are a lot of guys that you've never heard of. Unproven guys. If the Red Sox can win today, with Erod, steal this one on the road. Then you go to Chris Sale against Shane Boz. Then you go to Nathan Evaldi against Drew Rasmussen. I'd take my chances there. If the Red Sox can win tonight and steal game one, I'd feel like they would have the pitching advantages in both game two and game three. Because if you can get up one nothing. If you can get up early in this series, you can start to unnerve the Rays' young pitchers. A lot of the Rays' veteran players, they won't be nervous. But everything starts with the guy with the ball in his hand. And if you are a pitcher and you know your back is against the wall and you are playing from behind, that is not a position you want to be in. If the Red Sox win tonight, they got a chance to win this series. Like the old 4 Red Sox. Hey, don't let us win. That's what I'd be saying if I were the uh, Red Sox tonight. So uh, very, very... Uh, important game right there tonight for the Red Sox and for the Rays. 802-585-3026. That's 802-585-3026. Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury. Text line 802-585-3026. Uh, Mills is in the car in Topsham. He says, Brady, we need to win this series because I can't take Tampa beating New England yet again. Hashtag go Sox. <laughs> yeah, Mills, you're right. The Red Sox do need to win this series because the run that Tampa is on like, is like something that we're used to seeing. Bucks won the Super Bowl. They're a favorite again. Lightning have won two Stanley Cup titles in a row. Rays were in the World Series last year, a favorite again this year. I, I, I can't deal with that. I can't. Too much success for Tampa. Lightning, two cups in a row. Bucks, Super Bowl, Rays in the World Series. No, we got to put an end to that. One interesting thing you need to note here going into this series. Red Sox playoff roster is out. It features one massive surprise. Matt Barnes is off the roster. Matt Barnes, the Reds, a Red Sox all-star from this year, is off the playoff roster. J.D. Martinez is on it with that ankle, but Matt Barnes is off the roster entirely. He signed a contract extension with the Red Sox back on July 11th and since then has a 6.48 ERA. What an unbelievable fall from grace. And I, I take no joy in this. I'm not laughing at anybody. I'm not ha-haing at him. Matt Barnes is a good pitcher with good stuff. And he earned that contract extension and he was vital to the Red Sox winning ways in the first half of the season. And look, you cannot get to the position they're in now without being good in April, May, and June. And they were great in those months in large part because of Matt Barnes. But what has happened in the last two and a half months 
It is really, really bad. And the Red Sox bullpen, we said it the other day, they are not going to have the advantage over any bullpen in these playoffs. We like that Pavetta's out there for this series. I trust him to a degree. I like that Hauk is out there. I trust him to a degree. I trust Hansel Robles and Austin Davis probably, and that is about it. This team does not have a lockdown closer. Matt Barnes should be that guy, and he's not. And he's not even on the roster now. It's pretty pretty unbelievable, actually. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM and WDEV Radio. Dot com. Uh, we got time for a crazy Twitter take real quick. The internet, it's a really weird place. Where'd you hear that? The internet. And you believed it? Yeah. They can't put anything on the internet that isn't true. Where'd you hear that? The, the internet. internet. It's time for crazy Twitter takes on the Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Doesn't anyone notice this? I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. This one is not so much a crazy Twitter take. It's more of something I heard on Twitter that I want to address. Albert Breer of the Monday Morning Quarterback talking about uh, the Patriots getting rid of Stephon Gilmore. Yes, that's what I mean. That they, they needed to create cap space to go and, 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 and get Jamie Collins in here. Um, they had plans, of course, earlier in the week um, to fly him in, and they had discussed role with him and everything else. And um, they needed corresponding moves. So, you know, what they did was they picked up the phone and they called Stefan Gilmore and um, they basically discussed the idea of him, of him restructuring. And like I said earlier in the show, um, Stefan Gilmore looked at it and said, well, I've been asking for a year for you to fix my contract and help me. And now you're coming to me looking for help. Well, unless you can give me something that's going to make it worth my while, I'm not going to help you here. That's what I don't want to hear. I do not want to hear that the Patriots needed to move on from their best defensive player in order to bring in Jamie Collins. I mean, really? I loved Jamie Collins when he was here the first time, but come on. You've let the guy go twice. He was here. He was great. You traded him to Cleveland. He came back. You let him go to Detroit. At this point, he's a good but very recycled player. Gilmore is the guy that you need more. I mentioned this yesterday. This is a pass-happy league. This game now is all about speed offense. It's all about throwing the football. You need guys who can cover the pass and cover it well. I'm not upset with Gilmore. Like I said yesterday, he's been asking for a deal and waiting patiently for a long time, and he was never accommodated, even as everybody around him was taken care of, and now you're going to go to him and ask for help? I get why he didn't want to get it to you. I understand why. He didn't want to take, you know, take the lesser deal, but they needed Stephon Gilmore more than they needed Jamie Collins. And I'm just, I'm upset with the Patriots that it got to this point because Stephon Gilmore is far more valuable at this point than Jamie Collins, a linebacker in a pass happy league. You need guys who can stop the pass. And that is Gilmore. That is not Collins. It's the Brady Farka show on WDEV. AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Hey, the UVM men's hockey season, it begins tomorrow. And i got to say, one of the Catamounts said something that is just music to my ears. That's next on the Brady Farkas Show and WDEV. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in. Brady Farkas Show right here. WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEV Radio. 
UVMHockey.com. UVM men's hockey opens up their regular season tomorrow, and Andrew Lucas is the captain at UVM. I had him on the podcast last week, and there's something that has continued to stick out to me from our conversation. I asked Andrew Lucas, so he's a junior, and he's playing for Todd Woodcroft now for the second year. After his freshman year, Kevin Snedden stepped down and retired. And I asked Andrew Lucas, I said, look, guys, when they're when the coach that recruited them leaves, guys all the time transfer. Why did you stay? Why did you want to stay at UVM? Well, when you commit to a school, you commit to a coach, but you also commit to the school and the city and everywhere, everything else about it. Like, I, I fell in love with UVM on my first visit here, and, and I wanted to go to school here from the time I committed. And even when Coach Nunn left, like, I, I still wanted to stay here and, and do my college four years here. I love that answer. I really do, because he easily could have transferred, and he didn't. And it's because of something that I used to tell kids. When I was recruiting and when I was coaching, I used to tell kids to pick a school because of the school, not because of the other factors. You've got to pick a school for the school because you have no idea what could happen. You could get hurt, and the sport could be taken away from you forever. The coach that brought you in could get fired. He could leave like Snedden did. You just don't know. You need to pick a school that you would be happy at if all of those other things caved in around you. And Lucas feels that way. If hockey was gone or if Snedden was gone, he would still be in Burlington. And I think that says a lot about him and where he's at. And I think it says a lot about UVM and what the school has going for it academically, athletically, Maybe you like Todd Woodcroft who came in, but so many college athletes spend time searching for something. They spend time chasing. And when you're chasing, you're not always going to find – the grass is not always greener. You're not always going to find what you're looking for. Sometimes you just need to make the right decision at the beginning, and you need to believe in that decision. And, again, when I was coaching 16-year-old baseball and kids were talking about college with me, I'd say – you got to go to a place that you love, that you love independent of baseball. That if you lost baseball tomorrow, if you got injured and could never play again, would you still like this place? Because I see too many people that commit to colleges just for a coach or just for a facility or just for a schedule that they play or just for the ability to get seen by a pro scout. And then they ultimately are unhappy, and they end up transferring a year later. And then you're just constantly bouncing through the system trying to figure it out. Andrew Lucas has it figured out. And I think that's really, really cool to see that a guy knew what he was looking for when he went on his visits. He found a place that he loved. And even as as chaos was reigning around him, he found a place he loved enough to stay. And I think that shows an unbelievable sign of maturity. He also told me that... Basically, I'm aware we're not going to win the national championship in the next two years while I'm here. He acknowledged that. But he said, if I can lay the groundwork so that this program wins it in five years, then I'm going to consider myself a huge part of this thing. And that motivates me as well. And I love that answer, too. When I played college baseball, we were 1-17 in my junior year in the league. We were horrible. Awful. We got a new coach. The next year, we went 8-10. and 
A couple years later, they were in the College World Series. I never got to play in the College World Series, but I felt like I was part of it because I helped lay the groundwork in that transition year with the new coach and got guys to buy in, and I got to be a leader on the team. That meant a lot to me. And Andrew Lucas says, hey, I agree with you, man. Same thing. That motivates me. It's not about me winning a national title. It's about me helping this program grow. And I thought that was very, very mature, and I very much like to hear it. And I'll be very much rooting for the Catamounts when they take the ice tomorrow at the gut. That's it for the Brady Farkas Show. We will step aside. We'll get a national news update from CBS News, and then we'll come back and we'll give you the Red Sox lineups. As for the show tomorrow, Phil Perry of NBC Sports Boston is going to stop by and we'll react to Game 1, Red Sox and Rays, Eduardo Rodriguez, Shane McClanahan from Tropicana Field. Lineups coming in just a couple of minutes on WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com.